This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm your host, Jordana Levine. This is a very special episode that I was dying to get up to showcase a very good friend of mine, but to also let you know about an epic Kickstarter campaign she's running. And guys, she needs your help. Rachel Coops is an actor, yoga teacher, play school presenter, writer, and creative who has most recently written and produced a kids' television series that encourages the use of imagination. It invites kids to engage with nature and their surroundings and that introduces little ones to the concepts and principles of yoga the same principles that have changed so many adult yogi lives. The show, Rachel and the Minis, have an epic pilot episode that they've recorded, but Rach needs your help to create the rest of the series. In this conversation, we talk about what it's like working as an actor in LA during pilot season. We go behind the scenes of everyone's favorite childhood TV show, Play School. We talk about yoga and the importance of normalizing the philosophies of this ancient practice to make it relatable and practical to modern yogis. And we explore the importance of creating Rachel in the minis, which encourages kids to move their bodies, use their imagination and try new things while learning and laughing along the way. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Rachel Coops. And if you can help out in any way at all with her Kickstarter campaign, please head to the link in the show notes. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories and tag me at Jordana Levine and tag Rachel at Rachel Coops. That's R-A-C-H-A-E-L-C-O-O-P-E-S. I want to say that I know you as my yoga teacher, but the truth is, Rach, I was watching you on McLeod Daughters. Yeah. <laughs> before then. And it only clicked a few years ago. I was like, oh, no. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is why Rach looks so familiar when I started doing her classes. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm back here, being back in LA at the moment actually has been really interesting because it's like my, you know, this was a past life here for me when I was – on such a trajectory and I'm so focused and so like mm, just doing the thing and like really trying to make it happen and yeah it's so been really was the focus was the focus always acting for you acting and writing yeah mm. and was that yeah. was that like from a really young age was that like a high school thing or you know it was a high school thing, but I always thought I'd outgrow it when I was at high school because I was very academic. Yeah. So, and I was very, I think coming from that kind of, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. When coming from that kind of background of, there's no way, I, it, would, it was too frivolous. Yeah. Like you just had to get a, a job and especially if you had a brain. So I went to Sydney Uni, I did a commerce degree thinking I would just end up getting over acting um but then I basically supported myself through uni by acting yeah and then I was like you know spent six months in corporate I got headhunted by Fairfax so we got straight into this you know great job at Fairfax in sales and marketing 
and spent six months full time and just was like, this can't be my life. I can't can't do it. I was so miserable. I had just covered in psoriasis. I was I was really good at it, but I was miserable. And do so, you, do you are you naturally drawn to numbers? Like, do you enjoy numbers? Um, no, no. I was going to say, no, I don't know many no. writers that do enjoy numbers. No, but in retrospect, it was very much what I love, what I love is taking really complex things and making sense of them. Yeah. So like the subjects I excelled in were industrial relations and economic history. Like I loved economic history, like understanding how the world's economic state was affecting fashion choices and yeah. uh, birth rates and like I loved, I do love lo- like lots of complex information and then trying to figure it out. Mm. Um, but I was terrible at econometrics. I failed. It's like the only thing in my life I failed. And then when I did it the next year, because it's the statistics ones you have to pass for Sydney Uni Economics. And when I, the second time I only just scraped through. Yeah, wow. And what did it feel like to fail for the first time? Um. I think I was okay with it because I, well, no, I mean, I was okay with it. Like I didn't want to be good at it. Like I want to be good at everything else, but I was definitely, it definitely made me go, oh, maybe I should not do uni, like throw the baby out of the bathwater. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I know that feeling. Uh, Okay. So you did, so you started acting to earn money while you were at uni. Yeah. And you thought, well, hang on a second. I quite enjoy this. Yeah. Yeah. So what was what was the acting um, experience like? I was like definitely for you? not. I was not like the kid at school who was the lead in the play. Yeah. Ever. Okay. Never. I was always like the support. I was not like I did, I loved Shakespeare and I and I was quite competitive in debating and the Shakespeare competition and anything that was a little bit academic in nature. I get guess of public speaking. Mm. Um, but definitely not, yeah, it wasn't. It was more after after I started to do it and then I was like, oh, this is actually really fun, you know. Yeah. Being on set's fun. Being in a theatre is fun and kind of and, – and like for type A personalities, you – there's no control, right? So um, it's, it's, it's challenging. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So you started off, did you start off in theatre? Started off doing film. Yeah. And then did quite a bit of TV and kind of circled back to theatre a little bit later. Okay. And mm. um, and this was all happening in Australia at the time. Mm. But did mm-hmm. you did you go over to LA, do pilot season? Yeah. Like, did you do all of that? Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? Close. That was amazing. It was so amazing but very... Um, like it was a very disciplined time in my life because it was I think there's an illusion when you're that age and you're in LA you're like sitting around drinking coffee and you're I mean that was not my experience I was like watching what I ate exercising like a maniac and just auditioning You, you might audition you know three times a day and so you just learn all you're doing is learning lines and like it's work, it's work. Mm. But I hear that now it's a bit different, like it's changed just because the television landscape's changed and pretty much there's no just pilot season now. It's like all year round. Um, yeah, it's just a different world. But when I, back when I did it, it was, yeah, you'd, you'd come out for three to six months, you'd hit, hit it hard, spend all the money you'd earned back in Australia, go back, start again. Yeah, okay, so was that, the, was that how it worked? You, you had to earn mm. all the money before you went over there and then you just mm. spent six months auditioning until you ran out of money and then you have to come home. Then you have to come home. Yeah, and was your goal, what, what, was, your, what was your acting goal? Like what, what did you want to achieve? I think that's, this is probably why I ended up letting it go, to be honest, is I think beyond, like I just loved being on set and I loved playing dress up and I loved storytelling. Mm. But I didn't have a real hankering beyond that. Like it wasn't like I had aspirations to to be on a particular drive. People would often say to me, oh, what would be your dream show to be on? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I guess at, at a stretch, the SNL girls, like I lo- always loved Tina Fey and Amy Poehler back in the day. Yeah. But they were great. But I didn't have 
I definitely didn't have ambitions to be someone or on a particular thing. So, but I knew that you had to do that. You had to just keep, keep, get, you had to get to a certain level if you were ever going to survive because there's no kind of middle ground here. Whereas in Australia, you can, you can sort of have a career and do other stuff and work and, um, it's no, no all or nothing, you know? Mm. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is for some people. Maybe that's a perception as well of what, but yes, I definitely was missing that gene of, um, I would die for it, you know, like I would, I would do anything to get it because I didn't have a vision of what it was. Exactly. And I mean, that's like anything in life, right? But I think, I think the people that like really make it and really stick it out. And of course there are those few, those lucky few that just get a break. They're really Mm. dedicated to it, right? They're dedicated to the cause. It becomes, it becomes their life. Yeah. So if you're not yeah. in it, you're not in it. I completely understand. Yeah, and I think there was there was not a real dream for me either of living in LA the city. Like LA the city is it's so fun. There's so much great stuff here. But it's not like people don't dream of raising their families in LA. Let's be honest. Like it's not it's not like it there's it's a lifestyle that mm. for me it's very much a working kind of highly creative. This is this is the other fallacy though. Like I know a lot of people say, oh, it's so superficial. I'm like, it is and it isn't because there is, of course, an element that is that, but there is the majority of people are sacrificing their lives and giving up so much to be here. And if they are, they are at the top of their game, most of them, right? They are like the best, the best singers, the best musicians, the best actors, the best writers, and they are sacrificing like a lifestyle and time with family and friends to be here to because they have this burning desire in them to tell a story. Mm. And that's a really kind of very unique thing about LA, I think. I've never I've never been to LA and I think that I've definitely bought into the story of it being really superficial and Um, you know all the glitz and glamour of Hollywood and it's kind of really turned me off until quite recently when I've heard more stories like the one that you're telling about you know the people that are there who are yeah who are who are dedicated to their dreams and and they're all there in this like really condensed environment all working towards these like major goals I mean there's some good vibes to be around I think yeah and people aren't as I said people are not you know like we were speaking about before that Byron and Sydney are great cities and there's so many opportunities but you can also get a little bit lost in the kind of I just have one more swim (laughs) (laughs) you know whereas people in LA work really really hard yeah and they're 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 not here to to muck around you know they're here to 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 live their dreams Mm. and there's something very um yeah it's quite magnetic in that way so you're you're in LA at the moment we didn't we didn't mention that before but you're in LA on a holiday Mm. at the moment and you've been hanging out with some of your friends who I assume are still in the industry yeah yeah some of the they're all in the industry in some way but as we've all got older I think it changes too like I'm not surrounded by people who are here for pilot season that's for sure yeah they're they're quite well established do they do they have families are they raising families in LA yeah some of them have moved out a little bit like I've done some pretty long uber drives since I've been here yeah (laughs) which wasn't the case when you know years ago so they move out of LA a little bit some some of them have moved to like San Fran okay um I think that's way more family friendly and still quite close to LA to do what you need to do and some of them are still right in town doing their thing and and but I but those yeah those friends aren't as much the ones with kids most of my friends with kids have moved out a bit just a little bit okay so you you came home from LA and what what happened next well the last trip so the last time I got back was I was a little bit older, so I'd been, I went through my 20s and then I, I'd moved to Paris. I studied theatre in Paris and I, I lived there for three years. And at the end of that trip, I went, I came to LA to, and I was going to stay. I had no desire to go back to Sydney. 
and I was going to absolutely stay. And that trip was a real shock to me because up until that point, I'd always auditioned, I'd always been really busy, but two things had changed. <laughs> First thing was I was a bit older. So and when I say a bit older, I mean like 30. Oh, God. So, yeah, I was an old lady there. They, they were like, why have you been in Paris for three years? And I'm like, studying my craft is why. Yeah. <laughs> trying, to, trying to get better at doing what I do. And it was um, – so part of it was that that had changed and I was now the old lady in L.A., and the other thing that had changed was me because I'd spent three years in Europe and I'd spent three years in Paris and I think I'd been working with, I was at an international theatre school and working with directors and writers and actors from all over the world to create really beautiful pieces of theatre and I I just changed. I, I, I didn't have the same desire to be shopping myself, my wares, um, yeah, something something had just shifted. So during that trip, I got McLeod's and it was a really great – I'd put something down on tape here. I didn't get the job because uh, this is the way, how it rolls. It's, it's always so funny. Um, didn't get the job and then they changed their mind like two days before. Yeah, wow. And flew me out in a panic. So I had to pack my life. I basically left everything here thinking I'd come back and I just never came back. I got back to, I got back to Australia, I did McLeod's the last two seasons and um I did my teacher training as well then okay so that's where that's where yoga came in yeah yeah and I was like I just I don't know after Paris I just needed more I just needed more interesting um and McLeod's being you know on a series I'd always really wanted that to be on a series and it was everything that I'd, I'd I thought I wanted and, and I was doing it all and I just had this little hankering in my heart for being back in Europe just writing sitting in my little apartment writing and uh, yeah I just was hungry for more wasn't enough and so what what instigated the yoga teacher training I'd been a yogi very dedicated yogi for a long time mainly ashtangi and I I was I was just really hungry I'd, I'd always read the philosophy and I was just hungry to know more about why I felt, well, why yoga felt like my life, I guess. And um, Edith, who runs Sukhumukha in Sydney, was at that time in at, at um, Samadhi in Newtown. And she was like, you should do it. You're going to love it. You should do it. We were friends at the time and, you know, like yoga teacher training always happens at that moment in life when it's just the perfect moment. And so I signed up really thinking I'd deepen my practice and not that I would be a teacher and get to to dive into some of the philosophy a bit more and and I just fell in love with it. And it was very much that moment of going I know I know now like what what I can do because a lot of the jobs that I'd done before to keep myself surviving as an artist were temporary and I was like this is what I'm always going to do now for the rest of my life I just knew I knew that I would I would be able to grow and learn and love it and it could be a big part of my life not just a way to earn money yeah well I mean as one of your students I can't imagine you as anything but a yoga teacher I mean you're so much more than a yoga teacher but I and I wonder I wonder if this is something that you've noticed in other teachers I always notice that teachers with an acting background like you like Amy have this real way um, of communicating um, to their students through class that just feels really different um, to other teachers it's almost like there's this um, there's this channel that you guys can access through through your voice that doesn't always come across with other teachers. Have you no, have you noticed that? Look, I think, you know, you're talking about my philosophy wife, Amy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, of course, I know um, and I know and I love her so deeply. And someone like Amy is a good example of she's, I think, as storytellers, one part of it is being able to absolutely kind of express things in a particular way mm. and communicate things in a way we've we've had to spend our lives two decades both of us communicating communicating really beautiful ideas and concepts and 
in, in a way that that is engaging for people, right? And so, and we both love the philosophy part of of yoga. I think partly because it's it, you can you can go. You can go into it in your own individual way. So just like if you write a story or you, you, you're you performing Hamlet, there's five billion Hamlets, right? And it's the same thing. You take one of the sutras or you take one of the goddess stories and every single person's journey into it and then ability to communicate that is going to be so different, obviously. Mm. And But if you're passionate about how you can you can express those things and communicate those things. And I think it shows. And then the other side of it is, you know, being an actor is pretty rigorous. There is so much training in terms of voice and in terms of just letting go of your stuff. Like you have to be so vulnerable. You have to be so, and it's not about you. Like the work is just never about you. Mm. you you're very much part of a collaborative process and everyone recognizes that. Yes, there's narcissism in the industry, but at the end of the day, at the core of it, everyone knows they are this one little cog in in this giant machine. Mm. And so in order to to create something really beautiful, one has to leave there, goes to the door. And I think as an actor, you have to be, like my teacher, Philippe Gaulier, used to always say, the only job you have to do as an actor is show your soul. <laughs> just, oh, just a simple simple thing, right? Thing. <laughs> yeah. But I think that is not dissimilar to the process of yoga, right? And mm. and the ability to encourage our students to strip back and be so incredibly vulnerable and yet at the same time so incredibly resilient because you have to be resilient you know life is is challenging and, and as an actor and a writer you are going to be rejected many thousands and thousands of times but you have to find a way to keep getting up there and then just shedding your skin and showing your soul to the world yeah. um, so there's something I guess in that but we're probably fortunate to have years and years of kind of voice and creativity and storytelling under our belts as well yeah and and a little bit of performance as well I mean it just keeps your mm-hmm. keeps your audience engaged while they're in their downward dog <laughs> 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 no but you do have a really beautiful way of explaining the philosophy of yoga because I think that it can get very lost on students it gets very lost on me and I've studied it myself and I I really value the way that you and Amy um, manage to weave it in in a way that's very relatable and very practical because at the end of the day, we need to be able to take those philosophies out into the real world. Yeah, and I think that's that's really what I get excited about because when I first was teaching the philosophy in Bondi, and I know Amy was the same, like the yogis there were not interested in it. They did, no. were really not interested. <laughs> like It was like, who's this little blonde woman who talks all the freaking time? <laughs> And um, I was not popular, you know. People weren't coming to my class apart from some of you diehards and who were who were kind of really interested in some of the deeper yogic concepts. Mm. But now, like, they love it. Mm. There's this real. I think people are hungry. People are hungry for for self knowledge. Yeah. People are hungry for more across the board people are hungry for community people are hungry to understand who and who and what they really are they're hungry to know how they can be more powerful um the the beauty of what you do with all of your manifestation work and um work with the moon too it's like they're hungry for understanding nature and the cycles of nature and 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 our own inner power so i think it's um it's also the environment is, is shifting, I think, in in terms of students. Our students are becoming really good students and really interested students and really excited students. Mm. Um, and they want it. They want all the juicy stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm there for the juicy stuff. <laughs> it's so funny, actually, like being up in Byron, the yoga scene up here is not what you would think. Like it's very much – well, and maybe it's just the, the schools that I'm going to, but there's no philosophy at all like not at all it's very much about coming for an hour's worth of exercise and it's been really eye-opening to me because I think I really took it for granted in Sydney you know like Mm. uh, and and then again maybe it was just the bubble I lived in in Sydney but yeah it's it's just not really on offer up here it's been quite interesting to observe yeah 
LA has been a bit the same. There's I, there's one teacher here who's who's great and a really interesting and you know spoke to the the eight limbs in a class and but yeah the rest of it has it's been um, it's very different here at the moment actually compared to ten years ago very different. In I think what, we're quite spoiled. Yeah. Okay. In Sydney at the moment. Interesting. <laughs> in what in what respect is it different? I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of yoga. I think there's a lot of competition I think there's a lot of um some of these bigger studios trying to find their way um there's a real emphasis I guess people are busy so there's some sort of 55 minute classes and um I call them like melange classes where you they they like pull you know do a bit of core in there and a bit of like I've got to get all my things in my one class yeah they're really hot and really fast. Oh, like, wow. Really fast. And for me, I think I used to move very fast as a Jeeva and an Ashtangi yogi, but um, I'm so much slower now and mm. it's just so hot and fast that my, my central nervous system was like, oh, I was getting really stressed. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the opposite of what I'm we're trying dying. to do. <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting. And, yeah, I guess when there's so much competition, it becomes a business, right? So you're just competing with everyone else. Mm, Interesting. All right. So, Rach, I mean, we have to talk about it because it's just so important. Um, Tell me about play school. I want to know everything. I want all of the the behind-the-scenes info. Okay. So the first thing that I love to tell people is that, particularly parents, I write the episodes as well. Amazing. And if your child watches Play School, you should not feel like an ounce of guilt because the amount of work that goes into writing every single episode is pretty phenomenal. Um, I have a meeting. When I write one episode, there'll be like five eps in a series and we choose something that needs to be explored for early learning at that point in time. So maybe it's coding or maybe it's faces and feelings because parents are looking at, at screens now. So they have to teach their kids to look at faces because they're not looking at faces. Wow. And yeah. yeah. And so we will have a meeting for one episode of those five. So five episodes exploring a particular theme And I will meet with two early learning specialists and the producer for two hours. Wow. And they've already kind of mapped out the ideas of what will will be in that particular episode. And then I go away and I spend about two weeks tinkering with it. And that's just like one half an hour. There is so much work that goes into it. So that's That's the first thing. That's crazy. So that's not just your segment. You'll write an episode. God, I haven't watched Play School in a while. But there's different hosts coming in and out. Still? So that one episode would have two people in it, right? Okay. So it goes for 30 minutes yeah. and there'd be a male and a female host. So wow. for every 30-minute episode, there is that much work that goes into That's it. That's incredible. I, I mean, yeah. I'd never put any thought into it, but I but I wouldn't have thought that that's what was going on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite complex and a lot of time and energy and um, research and all sorts of stuff goes into it. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is it's like the hardest and the best gig in the world. It's a two-hander, you and another actor performing for 30 minutes. So it's like a mini play, right, 30 minutes, singing, um, making stuff. It's always they often will shoot big chunks together. So you might be doing 12 pages of dialogue straight. Okay. Yeah, wow got to be on your game you know and we shoot really fast we shoot 30 minutes of tv in about three and a half four hours um it's not we we learn it off by heart you can't just ad lib um and we don't have auto cue so it is like you have to learn a really um yeah like a big script every time so it's a lot of work yeah and do you film a season like in a week or something like do you film them back to back no, it's a bit random. We get because everything gets shot out of like one and a half studios at the ABC now, really only one studio. <laughs> we get bumped if anything else. So say there's a, a, an, an election, yeah, then there'll be no play school during the election because there's so much stuff that's being shot in studio, right? Or okay. So we get studio time. We get allocated certain days during the year 
And so they'll shoot what we call a block, and a block would be five episodes of a particular series. And so I might only shoot, I might myself just shoot one episode every six to eight weeks, and then I might write this year I've been I've written much less because they've cut, they've halved the episodes. So they used to shoot forty eps a year. We now only shoot twenty a year. Oh my god! And is that a budget funding mm-hmm. thing? Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah. So I'm now I do write less, which is um, which has been a bit of a bummer this year. But because it's spread out between different writers and hosts, we, it's definitely very sporadic for all of us. So everyone does other stuff. Mm. Do, do all of the talent write or is that – no? No, I think the only other one that does now is Emma Palmer. Okay. Yeah. But we both write as well like in, in our life so it's not like – I had to fight really hard to get them to let me write. They said no and like for two years I was like – I'm really, I'm going to be really good at this. I promise. Let me write you a, let me write you an, an episode for free like, to show yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no. <laughs> yeah. Even, yeah, it was funny. It was, it was hard to, but that was one, one thing that I really chased because I was like, I really want to do this. I knew it would be great learning for me. I knew that it would be fun. I knew that, um, yeah, I knew I had something to offer and so, yeah, I'm, I, I eventually wore them down. They let me write one for free. So <laughs> tell me, how did the Play School gig come up? Was it just another audition that you went to a casting for or was it something that you'd always wanted to do? I auditioned for it seven years before and I and I just shaved my head for a role on All Saints playing a cancer victim. Wow. And I didn't get it. I got a call back then but I didn't get it. And I am not a natural singer. Like I was never a trained singer. I'm certainly not confident about it. And so I auditioned again. Seven years later, they called me back in. I had a you know a lot more work under my belt by then. I think I was very green the first time I auditioned. And I wasn't going to go the callback because I was trying to learn the songs for the callback with my um, girlfriend Tony, who has a, who had her little her son's little piano. So she's trying to teach me, and I was like. I'm not going to get it. I can't do this. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go back. And thank God I did. Yeah. <laughs> and how how long have you been on Play School now? Nine years almost. Wow. That's incredible. I know. It's crazy. So in that time, you had a child of your own. Mm. Does G watch Play School? He does less now because he's six. But when he was little. So- when he was little, he's more into like, you know, Marvel now. Play school's not that cool. <laughs> yeah. But yes, when he was little, absolutely. Mm. Sorry, water break. And was it a kick for him to see mum on TV? I don't think so. I think it was really normal for him. I think, and I don't think he ever saw it as, a, as my job because I remember for his preschool, like Mother's Day thing, they get them to answer all these questions about their mum. And one of the things was um, my mum's job is, and he wrote yoga teacher. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, you wear so many hats. <laughs> I know, and, he, and I guess I'm just going to teach. But he doesn't, I just don't think he sees play school as like, you know, my work or I think now that he's a little bit older, he's starting to get it. That, and he's been in studio. He's grown up in theatres and TV studios. But I think... It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, he just doesn't see it as my job or something I do. It's just like I'm part of play school. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to describe careers to children anyway. Like it doesn't really compute. So I go and do this and I bring home some money and that's how you can eat and go to school, you know. <laughs> yeah. So like yeah. it's a lot to take in. Yeah. So, Rach, tell us um, – now you're running this Kickstarter campaign and I feel like it really incorporates all of the aspects of you that we've been talking about, you know, the performing and the writing and the yoga teaching and the play school, the kids side of things. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the project and the campaign behind it? Yeah, so basically when Jay was born, I really wanted to find content that was you know, really beautiful and that was creative and not sterilised and there just, there wasn't a lot of stuff out there. And 
part of me had a resistance. I've never wanted to just teach kids yoga. And I think it's because for me, I could always separate my acting and my yoga, right? So it was like, and, and working with kids, I do a lot of work in communities with kids and that's when I'm doing this playwriting process and there was just a separation that I've always had and, and I liked. But when I was seeking content for him that was had any kind of aspects of mindfulness and yoga and meditation or creativity and storytelling, I couldn't, I just couldn't find anything that I, that I wanted or that I there was like a, this dream show in my head that didn't exist. <laughs> so I decided to write the dream show. I met a producer. We met on um, an ABC show we did together, a little play school spinoff called uh, Joey's Big Adventures. And I met her and we just kind of had a bit of a creative love affair. And I said to her, do you want to collaborate? I want to do a kids story time yoga thing. Do you want to collaborate together? And so we've been working on creating a, a show that's like little – bite-sized chunks so like seven minute episodes where we're bringing together inspiring imagination through storytelling and then kids happen to breathe and move their bodies through the story okay so it's like sneaky yoga for kids we need it's, sneaky it's, yoga for adults <laughs> it's like I you're not going to a yoga, yoga class just sit on yeah. the floor, listen to this story, and we'll move around a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you roll around the floor. You yeah. can pretend to be an animal. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, and when we first started to talk to people about the show, you know, a lot of the advice I was getting was what I knew works in kids' TV land um, in order to make it work. So it was like you need to have an animated character. And I was like but I want the animation to come from the kids' imaginations depending on what animal they're being. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, but it's easier to, to kind of commercialise if it's, you know, there's a there's like – I'm like – so I, every avenue that I went down, I had advice that I totally agree with people, but I just – in terms of it being a commercially viable, potentially make a fortune kids show. Yeah. But I just wanted to make something that was really beautiful and that was that spoke to kids' imaginations in and and so we decided I said to Tash, let's just make what we want to make. That what I think will work, what I think will make kids want to go outside and be in nature. Like let's shoot it outside, shoot them barefoot, shoot them with messy wild hair, not have it be a perfect Zen yoga show. Like have them make mistakes and fall out of the poses and just be silly and fun. And then and we'll try and get it up ourselves. Yeah. So that's thus we we used our own money to create the pilot. And then I said to her, let's just give a Kickstarter a red hot go because what it also means is we've had we had interest from investors, but you have to already be then thinking about from a startup perspective, like how's the app going to work? How's that? And it started to inform again the creative process and limit the audience and I was like I want it to be available for kids everywhere in the world all the time mm. and keeping them kind of shorter episodes which there's nothing that fits in the children's television landscape for seven minute content right and the digital fund which exists which would be perfect for where because even though there's narrative they consider us lifestyle because there's a mindfulness component wow so if it was just silly silly narrative we yeah. could have we probably could have funding but I was, I said to Tash, I don't want to, let's just not compromise. Let's make, let's make something that is going to, like, I think the biggest crisis in the world today is mental health. Mm. It is like all of the big issues we have, whether it's in Australia, domestic violence, all of the terrorist acts, like so much of these things, you, you knuckle it down, you pull, pull it back the layers and there's an element of mental health at play. Mm. And from the smallest everyday kids dealing with anxiety to the extreme acts of violence that are happening in the world. Um, it's a cri like it's a crisis. I would, I would say that for young, young people today from, and it's getting much, much younger, the statistics are really alarming. How many kids feel anxious? How many kids are suffering from anxiety? How many kids are suffering from depression? And I'm talking not, not just um, what do they call it when we have uh, a depression that's triggered by an event. This is like a, a, a mental a, a condition that they're having every day at school. It's not yeah. just triggered by individual events. Their yeah. kids are walking around in this 
um, with a cloud hanging over their heads. And I think that's, I think it's really sad. And I think we can, there's so much stuff we can do to change that. And part of it is getting kids to move their bodies, getting kids to come into their imagination, getting them to trust themselves, to have a little bit of self-confidence, self-worth, um, and, it, and, it, and they feel like very big psychology terms, but actually by you just getting kids to balance on one leg we, and while being pretending to be a tree, you, you're, we're actually tackling these huge, huge issues. Mm. And, and I think that's kind of remarkable in a way that, you, like, let's just simplify it. Let's just simplify it. Just get, get kids to move a bit, be animals again, be silly, have fun. And we're potentially addressing what I think is the biggest crisis. If not, if not right now, it's certainly going to be by the time my son is and a young adult. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me about the um, Kickstarter itself. How much money do you need to raise and what does that money go towards? So we, we need to raise $158,000. It'll oh, give us... That's yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. So... It'll give us um, the. Well, it depends. It'll give us at least seven episodes because we've already spent the money to pay for the the pilot episode. The the kinds of things that it goes towards is animation, post production, camera guys, makeup people, designers. We're shooting on location. Um, it's not heavy in terms of props, but it's all of the post-production and actual shooting stuff that gets really expensive. Yeah. So we did the budget and we were like, There's, the only way that we'll be able to do this is either do the Kickstarter and, and not just have, like my community have been incredible, the yoga community in Sydney. I can't even tell you, my students have been phenomenal. Um, but it has to go wider. Like if yeah. we don't get wider, um, yeah, we need like, you know, 2,000 2, people, not our gorgeous little 80, yeah, 80 people, you know. So that's, yeah, it was never going to be just a little Kickstarter where, that we, we do with our local community and we can get it up. It was very ambitious. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, I think it's possible, right? So um, for people that don't know how Kickstarters work, yeah. you basically you pledge a certain amount of money. Um, yes, yeah, so we're doing like $20, you get the pilot, $50, you get all of the apps. We'll make a minimum of six new ones plus the pilot, but hopefully we'll be able to make more. And then there are bigger packages for experience. You know, if you come want to pay more, you can come to the premiere. Um, but the, the fundamental package that I said, the pledge that we really want lots of people to do is you're basically paying to get the show before it gets made. Yeah, which is amazing. It's like your money's, I mean, your money's obviously going towards a great cause, but also you're getting something in return. So it's not like it's money that's just disappearing. They're yeah. actually purchasing the show pretty much. Yes. Yeah. Which is and they'll get early access. So we won't, the rest of the world won't get to see it for six months. Our backers will get to have it first. Okay, so you let's say let's say you hit your mark, you make this show. Then what happens? Do you shop it around to networks, or do you release it on YouTube? Like, how does it how does it work? My goal is to have it be available to everyone everywhere in the world. So I would love to either create a platform like YouTube, or uh, an app that can be downloaded, but so that it's it's not just sitting in one place. So, cause that's my, the big thing for me is like, how do we just get it to as many kids as possible, as accessibly as possible so that parents can hand over an iPad without feeling guilty mm. and they can spend an hour wherever they are, if they're traveling, if they're at home, if they're in the car, wherever they are, they can watch. And the other, the other thing about it is that for me, I'm like, how do we build a, a global community as well of, of younger yogis that would be exciting if in the longer run once the show gets made we have a platform that connects little yogis mm. because i know the power of the yoga community globally um 
for grown-ups. Like it's a really amazing thing. You walk into a studio anywhere in the world and you feel like you're part of something, yeah, right? Yeah. You read someone's blog, you listen, you listen to someone's podcast or you, um, I don't know, You feel. I just feel like I'm part of this really beautiful, powerful global community being part of the, the yoga community. So I think it would be very cool to in the longer run develop that, like a little hub that is universal, easily accessible, um, yeah, and just something that inspires kids and gets them to, to, to love who they are, to feel strong and empowered and calm and, and deal with this crazy-ass world they're going to be living in. <laughs> no, I could not agree more. And the idea of a little community just for them, I mean, and that's something, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I imagine as a parent, that's the kind of community you'd want them hanging out in. Totally. Yeah. Okay, so what can people do if they want to help you out with this? What What's the first move? They can jump on board. The Kickstarter campaign is called Rachel and the Minis. It's on my um, link in my bio on my Insta it's I'll also it, on the Kickstarter website, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you can see that you can do all the pledges are there. You just do twenty dollars for the pilot, or your fifty dollars to get the whole series. Um, and at the moment, we're sitting at about eighty-two backers, I think. And we've already just from though that little group of people, we're on like almost fifteen grand. Yeah, I just looked at it before. I know. I know. Do you, if you don't reach your target, do you still get whatever's been pledged? No, oh, it all goes back. It goes back to the people who pledged and we get zero. Oh, God. <laughs> That's horrible. So you That's have to reach George. your, I am really sad. Guys, we have to help. So you have to reach the target in order to get anything. Otherwise you get yeah, nothing. Have... Yeah. Oh, Rach, I wish I was a millionaire. <laughs> just give you all the money. Oh, okay. So if you guys are interested, people listening, if you're interested, if you have kids that you know this will benefit, then even just a $50 pledge would be so helpful yeah. if we can get the numbers up. And the, the thing is, because we've shot a pilot, when you have a look at the Kickstarter video, you get a really good sense of the show. Yeah, like you'll it's see. great. And do you like how, how funny is Gabriel? Uh, he's so cute. But I think all the kids are so cute. <laughs> I felt like I was watching one of those, you know, one of those shows where it's like silly things four-year-olds say, even though yes. I know they're like older than yes. that, nine-year-olds. But, yeah, it was very <laughs> cute, <laughs> very sweet. I think I'd watch it as someone with, without kids. Well, I think you should. I'll send you the pilot. Yeah. You can watch do it in your Thank lounge you. room. I will. I do lots of stuff in this <laughs> lounge room. <laughs> so what um, – what what happened let let's just you know worst case scenario what happens if you don't get this money what do you do with it then so if we don't get this money there's two things going on the first thing is my beautiful collaborator and creative soulmate tash is pregnant so she is going to have a baby in january so we were trying to do do this all before she does that um if she has a baby in january we're going to have a couple of months to just take a breath and then we'll rethink. We'll have to go down the road of looking at speaking to brands and speaking to investors again. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not, uh, we're not ruling that out. This was just a way for us to have a little bit of control over getting it made quickly. Yeah. Um, and getting it made in a way that I can just get it to everyone without any kind of restraints. There's so many restraints once you get, and it's no one's fault. It's just the way that networks are now. That's the landscape of this new landscape of television and the digital world. Um, you just, there's, there's so many constraints on people with what can and can't get made. Mm. And so we just have to look at down the road changing things. And then, you know, that's okay. I, I'm very... I feel like we have put everything into this show. I put the part, like definitely the past six years has been work into it. We shot the pilot a year ago. So oh, we've spent, wow. yeah, we spent the past year doing our research, meeting with people, looking at all the options. Um, none of this has been, you know, kind of fast and furious. So if the Kickstarter doesn't work, I, I said to Tasha, it's okay, but we know we've given it our best. Like we've done everything we can to do it our way and uh, 
you know, to do it our way and to really yeah. make the show we wanted to make and get it to the get it out to the whole world. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, we'll do the best that we can. George. Listeners. Yeah, the best. Um, yeah, well, I hope so. I'd really love to pull this one off for you, Rach. <laughs> I yeah, think that would be so, so would good. I. Um, I have one more thing to ask you. Yeah. Have you ever looked at your own Wikipedia page? Oh, God. Not for a while. Well, I think that you need to talk to someone and they need to put a new <laughs> picture of you up. <laughs> because it's still the pregnant picture. Yeah, you're heavily pregnant in the so picture. Weird. And it's just such a strange picture to put of you. So weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. And I also you, you just know, wonder how yeah. much of your page is true. I mean, it all seems legit, but I've known many a false Wikipedia page. Once we get off this, I'm going to have a look yeah. and I'm going to talk to my people. Okay, I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have people anymore, but I'm going to find some people. Find some people to sort that out because <laughs> it's the first thing that comes up when I Google you. <laughs> I just wasn't impressed by the way they portrayed you at all. <laughs> I love it. Can you be my PR person? Absolutely. Sort that out, George. Yeah, no worries. All right, Rach, thank you so much for chatting to me, especially while you're on holidays in L.A. Thank and, you. Um, I've been really on holidays. I have been doing a lot of work by the pool, but I've been by the pool. Oh, so. By the pool, exactly. Amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. And we will do our best. As a podcast community, we will do our best. And um, I wish you all the best. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.